Testing, testing, check. Are you out there, Tim? I'm here. Are you, are you there, Braxton? <laughs> I'm finding my way through the darkness. <laughs> Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me today is Tim. Tim, Dr. Tim Stratton. <laughs> Tim, so glad you're here. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me on the show today, Braxton. And it appears, I, I, I don't know if you can tell, but am I freezing up a little bit? You're freezing up a little bit, but that's perfectly fine. We don't mind. It was all determined, and that's the name of the show today. So. <laughs> So, but uh, for those that don't know, Dr. Tim Stratton, and, and this is this is kind of it, Tim. I'm announcing it now. I'm letting everyone know. Here we go. Tim Stratton, the man you see before you, the more attractive and Sven bald-headed man, is <laughs> uh, one of our newest professors at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Just got a fresh spanking new PhD from Northwest University. Is that right? That's correct. And um, is going to be teaching some courses for us at both the, or I think at the doctoral and at the uh, undergraduate level. What are you teaching for us, Tim? Uh, I'm teaching uh, the cumulative case for God's existence. I'm doing another one called Defending Christianity. Uh, and then I'll be teaching through uh, just uh, God's sovereignty and human uh, freedom and responsibility. don't know for, for sure what we're going to call that class. Maybe we'll just call it mere Molinism. Uh, but, uh, yeah, those are, uh, several of the things I'm, I'm teaching, uh, at least starting out with. So looking forward to it. Awesome. I'm so glad Tim. And to, you know, I just want to say this right at the jump. We are going to get into, we are going to present a case for determinism today. And, um, it may be that there are people who have, um, clicked on this thinking, uh, because you're a determinist and you're looking for the best ammo against these disgusting libertarians, or if you're a theological determinist against these sorry non-Calvinists and Arminians and all the rest. And um, 
I think you're going to get some of that today because here's what I'm doing with this video. I asked my friend Tim on because this is going to be the first video in a series on free will. You know, free will has been a big part of your ministry, Tim. You run a ministry yep. called Free Thinking Ministries. That's right. And uh, we have the link to your YouTube channel in the description for this video already. And so that's, so that's pretty cool. You've been thinking about these things for a long time. It was a big part of your doctoral work. And uh, I also have been, have been uh, working with this for a while. What I think is cool, Tim, about, about you is that me and you and maybe a couple of other guys are the only people I know of um, who are Christian apologists who have made free will uh, a primary part of their case, not, not in theological discussions, but also um, toward atheists and, and right. for apologetics. That's, that's rare. And you and I were kind of working on this at a time when I didn't, I, I didn't know you were doing that, and yeah. you didn't know I was doing that. Right. So I think maybe God was just doing that through us under the table. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's really how we got connected, if I remember correctly. And we realized, wow, we're both cut out of the same cloth here, and we need to start working together. And uh, and I was so impressed then with what I was seeing from you. I was like, well, I've got to include some of your work in my dissertation. So, yeah, you're, uh, uh, your, your name pops up in that thing, and people can read about that uh, when my book comes out, published by Whippenstock. I think it's coming out this fall. So, uh, yeah, your argument for uh, libertarian freedom is is in there right next to mine. That's so cool. And I, I'm honored to be there. Sorry, getting my lighting worked out. Yeah, that, I'm honored uh, to 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 be in the book. And so just to be clear, because I see some people already wondering and asking in the chat, we both believe in what is called libertarian freedom. Neither of us are determinists. But I thought the best way to set up this um, series on free will where I'm going to present um, what I think is most important to understand the libertarian view of freedom would be for us to actually spend part of this episode making a case for what is called philosophical determinism. So in other words, we're making a case for the position that neither one of us agrees with. And I think we can make a case that is going to be, um, that, 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 well, no, this is not going to happen. My goal is that we would be able to make a case that determinists would say, hey, you did a pretty good job with that. <laughs> um, of course, that rarely ever happens on either side of this thing, does yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, first of all, let's begin, Tim, by kind of laying some groundwork here. Um, there are three primary, well, you and I would say there are two primary uh, understandings of, of free will. Um, and then there's a third one that is really uh, a subcategory of determinism. But um, there's libertarian freedom. That's what we hold to. And I, I'm going to how about I give some brief definitions here and then you can nuance those if you want to. OK, so libertarian freedom is the understanding of freedom that um, many people already think they have without knowing anything about the philosophy of this. And so simply put, libertarian freedom means that nothing external to the agent determined what the agent would do, think, believe and all those sorts of things. And typically that cashes out to include, and, mo and, and most people think this is all it is, is what's called the principle of alternative possibilities or the ability to have done other than whatever you ended up doing. You didn't have to do that. Um, and so if you're the type of person that thinks when a violent racial hater does some violent act that they are blameworthy because they didn't have to do that, they could have done something else well, then you're a libertarian if that's what you believe. Mm -hmm. But if you think that they had no choice um, or that their choice, let's just say their choice was determined and it couldn't have been otherwise, then you're a determinist because a determinist thinks, well, why don't I let you describe determinism? 
Uh, well, a, determ a determinist would be somebody who believes that, uh, and again, we have to nuance this, uh, they typically mean exhaustive determinism. And so I say an exhaustive determinist believes that everything about humanity is caused and determined by something other than humanity. And so typically when you're talking to the, the naturalist, they're talking about things like physics and chemistry, maybe the initial conditions of the Big Bang, or uh, some quantum events factored in, but all of these things are outside of human control. And if all of these things are uh, causally determining everything about humanity, then that means we don't possess libertarian freedom. So, um, yeah, would you add anything to that, Braxton? No, I, I just think the best way for people to think about it is to say, uh, on naturalism anyway, and by the way, we're going to cover theological determinism a little bit here, but on naturalism it would be that things outside of you, like you said, determined whatever you ended up doing. So your choices and your beliefs and all of that reduced to your brain states, which reduced to your biology, which reduced mm -hmm. to things that happened before you were ever born. So the history of the universe, your past life experiences, the formation of your neural structure down to the firings of neurons in your brain results in what we call your choices. And they are your choices, but they could not have been otherwise. So it's all like dominoes. And I've had people, Tim, get upset with me and say, well, it's not really like uh, dominoes because it's, um, it, it's it, that's too simple. A chain of dominoes isn't complex enough. Okay, it's like trillions and trillions and trillions of chains of dominoes, right. but it's still dominoes all the same. Yeah, that doesn't matter. Uh, talking about and objecting with the issue of complexity does nothing. Uh, yeah, you can have a simple, uh, you know, three dominoes set up, or you could have, like you said, you know, three trillion dominoes set up either way it's still dominoes uh tim i'm gonna i'm gonna answer this for a third time on this episode on the screen right now the program one of our regular viewers says is tim stratton a calvinist tim stratton is not a calvinist um this is uh we're, we're both we're both libertarians and we're both non-calvinists in fact mm -hmm. we're both uh what you would call molinists and um so, but we're, we're just, we're going to, we're going to try to pick up for the other side here today. We're going to try to, um, try to present the determinist case. Go ahead. And I'll, I'll just say this. Uh, I used to be a Calvinist. Um, I was a Calvinist for years. In fact, uh, some, uh, said that I was a cage stage Calvinist. And I think my wife would agree because uh, now a cage stage Calvinist just means it would be better for this Calvinist to be locked in a cage than to be interacting with people in society. And that would include my wife at times because we actually would fight over this. She was raised in the Armenian tradition. Uh, I was, you know, the church I went to, all the, all the pastors were Calvinists. Uh, the church I wound up working at, everybody was Calvinists. All of my friends were Calvinists. Um, I was reading John Piper all the time. Obviously, you, you get the point. Um, and my wife and I would argue over uh, Calvinism and Arminianism, so much so that the only night that I ever slept on the couch the whole night was, uh, was over a fight about Calvinism and Arminianism. How dumb is that? But wow. hey, uh, for, for people to say, I, I, you know, James White has said, well, Tim Stratton, didn't, he, he wasn't really a Calvinist. He might have called himself a Calvinist. I'm like, look. I understood uh, what each of the five points entailed. In fact, I went even further and affirmed exhaustive divine determinism, uh, what I uh, abbreviate as ED. And I was a cage stage Calvinist, so much so I was willing to throw down with my wife. So, uh, Your wife's my hero now. Yeah, yeah, she stood up. She stood up against me and uh, all things Calvinism. And anyway, so, uh, real, somebody, real, wants to read, oh, somebody wants to read more about that, 
on uh, freethinkingministries.com. Go there and look up the article called Molinism Saves Marriages. Uh, Dr. Craig liked it so much, he actually read it on uh, one of his podcasts. So, wow. There you go, yeah. That's awesome. So the unapologetic apologist says, why worship moles? So we're not going to get too much into Molinism today, but it's from Louis de Molina, who uh, who articulated Molinism, discovered so, Molinism, we might say. Um, but, uh, but, but I do want to clear up one question someone has. Some people in the chat are saying that they think you have uh, identified as Reformed in the past in some way. Mm-hmm. And um, someone says here, so then can a Calvinist be uh, a Molinist? I'm not saying Tim is, but I think I heard him say that Molinism is not incompatible with Calvinism. So um, you want to talk about that, Tim? Yeah, that's right. Mere Molinism, which is the focus of my doctoral dissertation, mere Molinism simply affirms that humans, at least occasionally in some things, some of the time, possess libertarian freedom and that God, uh, logically prior to his creative decree, knew what uh, these free creatures within his power to actualize. He knew how we would freely choose, and that's called middle knowledge. So all somebody has to do is affirm what I call limited libertarian freedom on one hand and God's middle knowledge on the other hand. And if you do that, uh, you've got mere Molinism. That's enough to be called a Molinist. It's similar to what C.S. Lewis did when he was talking about mere Christianity. If you affirm that God exists and raised Jesus from the dead, then you got some flavor of Christianity. Well, likewise, if you affirm that uh, humans are at least occasionally free some of the time and that God possesses middle knowledge of those free actions, um, then you've got some flavor of Molinism. And so uh, it's important to point out that not all Calvinists uh, affirm exhaustive divine determinism. Uh, In fact, Greg Kokel, I love to reference him. He's one of my favorite guys might be one of my favorite Calvinists as well, um, but he's a five-point Calvinist. And uh, so, you look, you, you look at those, and he argues for some libertarian freedom. If you get his book, Tactics, he's got a section on that. Uh, he, he is a libertarian. He just doesn't believe that that applies to salvation issues. So he affirms all five points of TULIP. Well, I just say look at the two points of mere Molinism, if you will, and the five points of TULIP, and tell me where they contradict. They don't. So since there's no contradiction, you can technically hold the five-point Calvinism and the two main ingredients of mere Molinism. So you can be a Calvinist and a Molinist simultaneously. I mean, you could say, I don't know why you couldn't say, you could be an exhaustive determinist, uh, theological determinist, um, and just say God is aware of all the ways he could have made the world. <laughs> yeah, and if, and if he could have, if it was in his power to create a free creature, even though he never did, then you, you're still, uh, you've still got some form of Molinism there. If you don't have Molinism, you've at least got middle knowledge. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, definitely you could be an exhaustive divine determinist and still hold to God's middle knowledge of free creatures. Okay, so we're going to get into our case, but before we do, one last thing. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, hey, I just want to make it clear to everybody out there, I'm not a five-point Calvinist. <laughs> yeah. Even though I, I argue and say, look, you can be, um, but, but yeah, I'm not. But I do say this. I consider myself to be Reformed. I graduated from a reformed theological department at a secular university. That's kind of weird, but it's uh, 
but it was a very, uh, you know, staunch reformed uh, theology department. They almost didn't let me go through with my, uh, I mean, my research proposal was almost rejected. And there was, I got to be honest, there were several times uh, in the midst of my of writing my dissertation where I was like, they're not going to pass me because I was really um, locking horns <laughs> at times with my supervisor. And I was like, this is getting dangerous. I'm putting all this time and work and money into this. And I was like, I don't know if they're going to pass me. But at the end of the day, um, they said, man, you defended your position. And one of the things I had to do for them to even uh, accept it was to show how what I was going to be arguing for was compatible with reformed theology. Mm. And if I couldn't do that, they weren't going to let me go forward. And so I did. I argued that I was reformed. And by what I did with that is I looked at what they considered to be reformed and went point by point and said, I can affirm this, I can affirm that, and this is why. So I do now say that I consider myself to be reformed, but not a Calvinist. Well, we'll let, you, makes... we'll let you get away with that. Uh, the, yeah. the point that I want everyone listening to understand is you and I have talked at length about a lot of different aspects of this, and there is almost nothing we disagree about. <laughs> very, yeah. very little that we disagree about, yeah. right? Um, all right. So uh, someone was asking here, uh, what, what field or did you get your Ph.D. in? What field? It was theology. OK. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So let's um, let, let's jump into this now. Um, oh, what did I do with my notes? So we're going to make a case uh, a little bit here for uh, whoops. I uh, hope I didn't lose anybody. I think we're still good. Um, we're going to make a case here for determinism. Now, um, the, the thing is, I, I want to be clear again for anyone just coming in that we are not determinists. We, um, if anything, we're self-determinists. We believe that people have freedom of the will. And, but we are, but, but from the moment we begin here in just a second, I'm going to present to you, we are going to present to you what we think is a, um, a good case for uh, the determinist position. And I may have to do it on the fly because I'm not finding my notes here that I want so badly. Um, but um, Tim, I'd like to begin with a passage from a very well-known determinist sort of, um, uh, let's see here, uh, a well-known determinist manifesto of sorts. This is written by some great philosophers, um, and I'm, I'm going to give you their names, but first I just want to lay the, the, the words down on you, because I really do believe this will set the tone for the rest of our discussion. Baby, Lay on back and relax. Kick your pretty feet up on my dash. No need to go nowhere fast. Let's enjoy right here where we at. Who knows where this road is supposed to lead? We got nothing but time. As long as you're right here next to me, everything's going to be all right. If it's meant to be, it'll be. It'll be. Tim, baby, just let it be. <laughs> if it's meant to be, it'll be. So won't you ride with me? Ride with me. See where this thing goes. If it's meant to be, it'll be, it'll be. Baby, just let it be. This obviously comes to us from the great philosophical minds of Bebe Rexhaw and Florida Georgia Line. Um, the reason I thought it was important to begin with this incredible determinist manifesto is because uh, Bebe Rexhaw and Florida Georgia Line are laying out here that, look, it's as if we're in a car. We are experiencers 
riding through life, but all of our choices, all our decisions have been determined. So let's see where this thing goes. And it's like we're in the passenger seat. We're experiencing it all. We feel like we're contributing, but we are not in control of the vehicle is I think what we're trying to say here, at least not in the sense that we could have done otherwise. And I think that's why um, they wrote this. I think they were thinking of these issues. So thoughts initially. Uh, my first thought is, I mean, if they're saying, hey, let's just, you know, sit back and enjoy the ride. Well, if determinism is true, then my enjoying the ride or not enjoying the ride is also determined by something that's not me. Um, and I also don't have the ability to even uh, weigh or judge um, my current thoughts on the issue or if perhaps I should be thinking about things differently because even though even my judgments are determined by something other than me. So as soon as somebody starts to say, well, no, but you have the ability to judge or evaluate, I'm like, well, hold on. If you're saying that exhaustive determinism is true, my evaluations and my judgments and all of that are also causally determined by something or someone else. And if that's the case, then we've got major problems, uh, namely regarding rationality and uh, reason-based knowledge. Uh, those go out the window. So we can discuss that maybe as we go on. You know, actually, Tim, actually, yeah. Tim, I said we were going to go ahead and begin our case for determinism. But first, I think it would be helpful because we don't know what's going to happen and, and when you'll be back on. Uh, so so we'll, th this will be, again, on the, on the non-determinist side real quick. Uh, but I, I'd like to ask you to go ahead and, and present the arguments you've constructed related to free will. Now, before you do that, let me uh, let me get a super chat here. Thank you so much, Ashton Peacock, for this uh, super chat and wants to know, is determinism an unfalsifiable claim? I don't know what you'd say, Tim. I understand why it would seem unfalsifiable. I think if it could be shown, and this has been a part of my study lately, if it could be shown that um, quantum indeterminacy or some kind of indeterminacy could be felt at the level at which we make our experiences, that would falsify determinism. Um, of course, that is, it's difficult to see that, uh, well, it's, I mean, I'm just saying in principle, I think it could be falsified. Likewise, free will could be falsified if you had neuroscience studies or something like that that did indeed show and establish that, um, that, that our choices are in every case made at the unconscious level, but they haven't shown that, uh, Tim, but I think you might have a different answer. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that's metaphysically impossible. I think the arguments, uh, and, uh, some that I'll, I'll give today show that that can't be the case, that that cannot happen. And if they claim to do so, that we're missing something. Um, and so may, maybe that'll be, uh, become clear as, as we go forward. So give your case, Tim, give you, give your stuff, give your case. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess the first thing is, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the definitions of libertarian freedom. Uh, it's vital to, to recognize that we're not just talking about the ability to do otherwise, but also sourcehood. So let's say I can't, um, or if I'm able to prove, and I do, I argue for both versions of libertarian freedom. But so I, I do in my dissertation, I, I give arguments for the ability to do otherwise that deductively uh, reach that conclusion. Um, however, let's just suppose that I can't do such a thing. Um, well, if I do demonstrate we've got libertarian freedom or if I do demonstrate an ability to do otherwise, then I have demonstrated libertarian freedom. But suppose I can't. Let's suppose those arguments fall apart. But I am able to show that there's no causal strings attached. 
that there's no deterministic causal strings attached. Even if I can't prove the ability to do otherwise for some weird reason, but I can demonstrate no causal determinism or no causal strings or chains attached, then I've still demonstrated libertarian freedom. But there is one definition of libertarian freedom that I typically appeal to, uh, that I typically argue for and typically defend. I, I agree uh, with the PAP or the principle of alternative possibilities, aka the ability to do otherwise. I affirm that. I also affirm sourcehood. That's vital. But here's the definition I like to defend on a regular basis, and that's this, that libertarian freedom is simply the ability to choose between or among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature at a given moment. So I'll say that one more time. The ability to choose between or among a range of alternative options, each of which is compatible with one's nature at a given moment. So in a sense, uh, you know, you could call me a compatibilist, a libertarian compatibilist, because I point out that I... Uh, I can't make uh, uh, choices or decisions that are not compatible with my nature. I just argue that uh, there's at least some times where we have alternative options available to us that are both and each uh, compatible with our nature at, at a given moment. And that's not an incoherent concept. But with the concept of libertarian freedom clarified, uh, let's go into what I call the free thinking argument. The uh, First, let's start with what I call the core of the free-thinking argument. It was the first uh, two premises in syllogism, or uh, two premises in conclusion that I came up with. I think this was back in maybe 2012. Uh, I'd been thinking about it beforehand, but I finally penned, you know, put pen, pen to paper in 2012, the summer I was out at Biola. But uh, the core of the free-thinking argument is not against naturalism. It's not uh, against... Uh, anything really. It's just simply for libertarian freedom. It says nothing about God, nothing about Christianity, nothing about Calvinism, Molinism, Arminianism, open theism, atheism, naturalism, or any other ism. It's, it's just uh, a, a simple syllogism. So here's the core of the free thinking argument. It goes like this. Uh, first premise, if humans are not free in the libertarian sense, they cannot either rationally infer or rationally affirm claims of knowledge. Second premise, humans can rationally infer and rationally affirm claims of knowledge. Deductive conclusion, therefore humans are free in the libertarian sense. So that's, uh, and I'll defend these here in a bit, but if that syllogism is both, it's valid, and so if it's sound, then we know that we possess libertarian freedom, at least when it comes to thinking and being rational. Um, I, so I think that's enough. That right, that right there shows that determinism exhaustively is false. I mean, hey, I, I'm a determinist in a sense. I believe that some things are causally determined. I just reject exhaustive determinism, whether it be exhaustive divine determinism or exhaustive naturalistic determinism. So with that argument in mind with that little two-step or three-step syllogism in mind i then added two additional premises um which simultaneously added two more deductive conclusions and then i got another abductive conclusion on top of that and so uh 
so here's basically what that turned into. I've got several versions of this. This is the one I'm using a lot now. Um, so it goes like this. Premise one, if naturalism is true, the immaterial human soul does not exist. Two, if the soul does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. Three, if libertarian freedom does not exist, then it's impossible to either rationally infer or rationally affirm knowledge claims. Four, it is possible to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims. Five, therefore, libertarian freedom exists. That's deductive. Six, therefore, the soul exists. That's deductive. Seven, therefore, naturalism is false. That's deductive. And then I have an abductive conclusion here. The best explanation for the existence of libertarian freedom and the soul is the biblical view of God. Um, I, I used to just say as God, but then I thought, wow, we can argue for a biblical view of God that's, that that's actually the best explanation. That's really another argument. So um, I typically, it really comes down to the, the premises, or the, especially the first three premises, because no one really rejects the, the final premise, uh, step four, where I simply say it's possible to rationally infer and rationally affirm knowledge claims because to argue otherwise uh, with that one is self-defeating. That means you're rationally inferring that you can't rationally infer anything. <laughs> so so uh, that one's got to be true. So, so let's look at the first three premises uh, quickly. And I can't keep this quick. Uh, basically, uh, premise one, remember it says if naturalism is true, the immaterial human soul does not exist. That simply means if naturalism is true, nature is all that exists. Well, that's true by definition. That's what it means to be a naturalist. You believe that nature is all that exists. Yeah, that's not so controversial. Is, yeah, non-controversial. So let's move on uh, to the second premise. Uh, the second premise uh, states if the soul does not exist, libertarian freedom does not exist. Well, uh, Premise two, then, is tantamount to the following. If all that exists is nature, then all that exists, including everything about humanity, is causally determined via the laws of nature, the initial conditions of the Big Bang, quantum mechanics, you know, just things outside of human control. Well, that's fairly non-controversial as well, because that's constantly what the atheistic naturalists are telling us. Sam Harris has an entire book about this. Um, you just uh, had a debate, Braxton, with, uh, what's his name? Dan Barker. Dan Barker, yeah. I was going to say Dan Brown. Um, it's not out yet for anyone that's going to go leave this and oh. go look for it. No, 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 you that's didn't right. ruin anything. I've talked about it, but it's not available yet. Okay, good, good, good. Um, but yeah, he affirms that, that same position, right, that, that everything is exhaustively de determined. Am I right about that? That's right, yep. Yeah, it's at least about humanity. Everything about humanity is mm -hmm. exhaustively determined. So somebody could actually hold and say that not everything is causally determined because of quantum mechanics. But then they will say, but everything about humanity is causally determined by uh, the forces of nature uh, and, and past events in nature and quantum mechanics. <laughs> Those things all determine everything about us. So then it really comes down quite often to the third premise. And I say, if libertarian freedom does not exist, then it's impossible to either rationally infer or rationally affirm knowledge claims. But that just simply communicates the fact that if something outside of human control causally determines you to affirm a false belief, then it would be impossible for you to infer or affirm a better 
or true belief, right? If something outside of your control causally determines you to affirm a false belief, then it's simply impossible for you to infer or affirm a better or true belief. So, you know, if our thoughts and our beliefs are forced upon us and we could not have chosen better thoughts and beliefs, then we're simply left assuming that our determined thoughts and beliefs are good, uh, let alone that our beliefs are true. And therefore, we can never rationally affirm that our beliefs really are the inference to the best explanation because we can only assume it. But, but get this, we can only assume that, but think about the fact that if exhaustive determinism is true, then something other than you is causally determining that assumption. And those who don't have that, that assumption, something's causally determining them to hold a different assumption. So, uh, you know, I think uh, Dr. Craig and J.P. Moreland um, in their book, Philosophical Foundations for a Christian Worldview, uh, they say, if one is to have justified beliefs, then one must be free to obey or disobey epistemic rules. Otherwise, one cannot be held responsible for his intellectual behavior. And another good author on this, not a Christian, is John Searle. He's got uh, an entire book on this, big book, um, and I can't think of the title now. Something, oh, Rationality in Action is the name of that book. Um, so you've got atheists who are affirming this. So it's not just like if you're an atheist, you've got to affirm this, um, that determinism is true. Um, but most do. But some philosophers like John Searle and Evan Fales and others, they, they, they realize the problem here and really the problem that the free thinking argument is exposing. So yeah, I mean, you've got about... you, you've got some atheist philosophers who will say things like, look, um, we actually believe you have libertarian freedom, don't know how that works. Right. And so they take kind of Peter Van Inwagen's um, uh, libertarian mysterianism. It's, it's a mystery. Yeah. We don't know, but it has to be the case because we're making justified knowledge claims and we are morally right. responsible. That's exactly right. So, uh, and I'm fine. I mean, that's, I'll tell you what, I'd rather have somebody who says, yeah, we've got to have libertarian freedom, don't know how to do it, so let me punt to mystery. But we can do better than that. We can we can start explaining how we have libertarian freedom, uh, I believe. And, and I think uh, Christian theism uh, is by far the best explanation of that. Um, but uh, so let's let's talk about the uh, um, the big problem here for the, the atheistic naturalist. Um, here's the you know, you can be an atheist and still not be a naturalist. Um, you can be an atheist and still believe in. Uh, and the human soul, I guess, or some form of you yeah. There be, are Buddhists who are atheists in the sense that they don't believe in a personal God, um, yeah. but they believe that there is a supernatural element to the world. Yeah. yeah, right. I mean, technically speaking, you could be a, an atheist and still believe in angels and demons. I mean, that'd be a really weird view. But atheism is just the, the view that God does not exist, or they lack of lack of belief. I guess they're going to say today that God does not exist. But you could still hold a belief. That angels and demons exist. That'd be a really weird view. I don't know of anybody that actually holds that view, but I'm just saying, hey, technically speaking, um, now if you're a naturalist, you reject all of that. You reject God, you reject the soul, you reject angels and demons, you reject abstract objects. There's nothing immaterial uh, or non-physical or, or other than nature that actually exists. I think they're wrong. Um, but 
the vast majority of atheists, and at least in the West today, are naturalists. So it logically follows that if naturalism is true, then atheists, or anyone else for that matter, can't possess justification for their beliefs, which is typically uh, at least minimally required for knowledge. Some people think you need a little bit more than that, but that's the, there's debate there. But uh, most epistemologists are going to say that uh, that's minimally required um, for knowledge. And I, I will argue that uh, as well. Now, one can happen to have true beliefs. However, if they don't possess justification for a specific belief, then that, speci that specific belief does not qualify as a knowledge claim, even if it's true. Um, there's no, as, as Socrates would say, there's no tether to reality. He talks about how, uh, you know, true beliefs are great, but they don't last long unless you have them tethered to reality. You got to tie them down. And, you know, my colleague Tim Fox does a good job. He's a math professor on the side. Uh, he's also a contributor for Free Thinking Ministries. But as a math professor, um, he says, look, you got to show your work. You can't, uh, you know, you might guess somehow the right and write the right numbers down. Just luckily, that's not knowledge. You don't know uh, the answer to the math problem, even if you got it right. And if you cheat and look at your neighbor's paper, you might see what they wrote, um, hoping they got it right. But if you write it down, uh, that's not knowledge. You don't know the that's answer. That's a good to illustration, isn't it? Yeah. He goes, but but the but the girl in the class who shows her work from beginning to end, reaching the correct uh, number, circles that as her answer, she's got justification because she's tethered it. That the showing her work is the tether to reality. And so the teacher knows that she knows what she's talking about. So yeah, I, th I think uh, that's a great um, illustration from, from Tim Fox. But uh, so with all that in mind, if one can't, you know, freely infer the best explanation, then one has no justification that their belief really is the best explanation. Without justification for a belief, any claim of knowledge regarding said belief it really goes down the drain. All we're left with is question-begging assumptions, not that we could do otherwise on determinism. But obviously, uh, you know, humans do possess the ability to rationally affirm claims of knowledge. And like I said earlier, to argue against that is to affirm it as one would have to offer claims of knowledge to the contrary. So, you know, that's just going to blow up, blow up in your face if you, if you reject it. But on top of that, if one rejects the ability to rationally infer and affirm knowledge claims, then why should anybody listen to them? If they're saying, I cannot rationally infer or rationally affirm claims of knowledge, then nobody needs to listen to a single thing they say. So if that's the case, it follows that libertarian freedom and the soul, it seems, or... Uh, some immaterial aspect of humanity has to exist, and therefore naturalism is false. So that's that's the free-thinking argument. Uh, you know, the, the core of the free-thinking argument simply shows you've got to have libertarian freedom, and then you add the premises, you get more conclusions, and it starts to show, man, uh, there's more to humanity than simply the physical. But just let me add this, if you don't mind, Braxton. Uh, you and I have talked a lot about this in our interactions with Guillaume Bignon, who's uh, an exhaustive determinist. Um, but I, a thought experiment that I like, and I've, I've, I know that you've referenced it a couple times. I say, suppose a mad scientist somehow gets control of your brain and can causally determine 
all of your thoughts and beliefs all the time. So he, I don't know how he does it, but he's a mad scientist and he does it. So he exhaustively controls and causally determines all of your thoughts and beliefs all the time. And this includes exactly what you think of and about and exactly how you think of and about it. Let me say that again. It includes exactly every moment, no matter what you're thinking, that was determined by the mad scientist. And it's not just what you think, it's how you think about it. So it's not just what you think of and about, it's how you think of and about it. That's not up to you, it's up to the mad scientist. So all of your thoughts about your beliefs and all of your beliefs about your thoughts are caused and determined by the mad scientist. And this also includes the next words that are gonna come out of your mouth. So here's the question. How can you, not the mad scientist, rationally affirm the current beliefs in your head as good, bad, better, the best, true, or probably true? I mean, look at the range of options from which to choose without begging the question. How can you do that without begging the question? I say, good luck with that. It's impossible. I mean, if, if you've got these uh, possible options from which to choose, good, bad, better, the best, true, or probably true, and you're looking at these things, well, if it's not within your nature to judge something as good when it actually is good, then you can only judge it as bad. Well, man, now you're just, you're in a real situation here. You're in a conundrum because the right answer was simply not compatible with your nature. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the bottom line. You can't decide what you ought to believe if something or someone else determines what you will believe. Yeah. And if you replace, if you re replace, the mad scientist with uh, physics and chemistry or God or anything else, you got, you got the exact same rationality problem, but for different reasons. But we, anyway, I, I go on. And no, on. no, no. It's, it's great because you and I have discussed the example from the 2014 version of RoboCop and someone just yeah. brought that up and said, it's like that. That is a good example. You know, uh, RoboCop, um, I'm not sure to the extent to which they made this happen in the film, but he had a chip in his brain or whatever, and they're able to control his thoughts so that he thinks that everything he's doing, thinking, saying, uh, believing is all his own stuff, but it's actually someone else determining all those things yeah. for him. Now, on Christian, uh, on the theological determinism, th there's the God thing there. And you might say, well, yeah, but God, but God would never determine anything that you shouldn't believe. But understand, if exhaustive determinism is true on theo theological determinism, then that is what's happening unless everybody yeah. agrees on everything. And they don't. Right. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, there's a big problem um, when it comes to uh, uh, saying that. Well, it comes down to the problem of reliability, because if naturalism is true. Uh, and all of your thoughts and beliefs are causally de determined by physics and chemistry and quantum events or whatever, what have you, those things aren't intentional thinking things. They just, you know, physics and chemistry simply fizzes and pops. It's not intentionally aimed at anything. It's not aimed at truth. Now, Alvin Plantinga has the evolutionary argument against naturalism. That shows that if evolution is true, that our thoughts or our beliefs aren't aimed at truth they're aimed at survival and those are two different things but i think the free thinking argument against naturalism shows that it goes even deeper than that i think it's actually i mean i i'm not ever going to pretend that i'm that i should ever be mentioned in the same breath as alvin plantinga right but tim I stratton actually, and alvin plantinga done it's over <laughs>
<laughs> no, I would never do that. Um, but I do think the free thinking argument against naturalism is actually a little bit stronger than the uh, evolutionary argument against naturalism because, um, on you know, if physics and chemistry are running the show, those aren't aimed at anything. At least with evolution, your your beliefs are aimed at survival. And it seems plausible that the majority of your beliefs, if they're aimed at survival, will also be true to help you survive. Uh, you run into problems when it comes into metaphysical views but or theological views, but I think you know some people have tried to connect those dots. With uh, naturalistic determinism, your beliefs aren't aimed at anything. They're not aimed at survival. They're not aimed at truth. It's just aimed at whatever randomly happens with physics and chemistry, fizzing and popping. Um, now, when it comes to uh, uh, theological determinism, that's got similar problems regarding reliability. Um, you know, after all, if, a, if exhaustive divine determinism is true, then God always causally determines all the thoughts and beliefs and a, that a person possesses all the time. If we're talking exhaustive divine determinism, if we're talking about Ed, right? So initially, one might think that this is unpro you know, unproblematic. Since God is, unlike physics and chemistry, God is an intentional agent who has the ability to aim at truth. That's true, he does. But the problem, however, is that human beliefs uh, don't seem to be aimed at truth, but rather God's will on that view. And, and given the preponderance of a, you know, a, how do I say, a preponderance of a plethora of disagreeing views about theological issues across the board, across, you know, you think about humanity, all the disagreeing uh, views and mutually exclusive views that humans have had on theological issues. And, and it's not just humans across the board, it's even among Christians. Think about all the Christians that hold different theological views. And it's not just that, it's even Calvinists. I mean, you got uh, Guillaume Bignon, who's disagreeing with uh, Greg Kokel. Well, God is then causally determining both of, at least one of them, to hold a false belief. Right. So. It stands to reason that God's will is not necessarily for humans to affirm true theological beliefs. And, and this also includes the beliefs regarding uh, this issue currently under discussion. So it follows that uh, theological thoughts and beliefs, not to mention a multitude of other thoughts and beliefs regarding other issues, they're not reliable in the sense of condu uh, conducing to truth. On exhaustive divine determinism, God causally determines many people, all people, to affirm false beliefs. And thus, uh, on Ed, on exhaustive divine determinism, we lose reliability. God, uh, sure, God can uh, cause and determine some people to hold some true beliefs, but uh, most of the time he doesn't. Beautiful. Well put, Tim. That's a good uh, <laughs> romp through the world of Tim Stratton's mind. And, uh, and I affirm everything you said, I think. Um, and listen, that if you want to know more about what Tim thinks, Tim's got a whole website, most of which is blog articles uh, dealing with all these things. And he's got a YouTube channel. So I hope that what you get out of this, if nothing else, is an introduction to Tim Stratton. And if you're into the kind of stuff we're talking about here today, you should subscribe to his YouTube channel and help him out there because you're because he's only got started a little while back, really taking yeah. the YouTube thing seriously and growing rapidly. But still. Um, all right, so let's. So now, after uh, 47 minutes and 40 seconds, we're going to actually get into a case for determinism because the rest of this series is going to be um, 
an exploration of what's wrong with determinism and why libertarian freedom is true. So I've, I've made some notes here. Obviously, I've debated this. Um, we've, uh, you know, we've dealt with this, both of us, so we kind of know what the, where the furniture is in this discussion. So one of the things, Tim, that it, now this is now determinist Tim and Braxton talking, okay? Yes. Um, sure. w one of the things that, so somebody might wonder, why does anybody not believe in free will? Why would anyone not believe that? Um, what are the problems? I mean, you and I and many of the people watching are so used to this discussion that we, we already know. But when I talk to lay people, sometimes their position is, wait a minute, what, what, what do you mean? I mean, why, why would naturalism, why would atheism, why, or, and why for sure would a Christian ever think that they don't have free will? Well, actually, right. there actually are some reasons um, that I think for some people seem right when you first hear them. They, they sound right. I, I don't want to try to straw man this. They, they do. And um, um, I think there are, when you go one layer deep, it's one of those issues with me, like, where it's like a layered thing. If, if, you, if you're just looking at it from the top down, for like looking at the water at the, uh, standing above a pond, uh, yeah, it, it looks a certain way. It looks like maybe determinism is true. But then you go just below the surface, and a lot of those criticisms fall away. You go a few more levels down, and oh, wait, maybe here's some more reason to believe in determinism. But when you get to the bottom, <laughs> you find out, I think, yeah. that uh, libertarian freedom makes the best sense, not only of morality and, as you said, rationality, our ability to have justified knowledge claims, but also of our intuitions, our extremely strong intuitions that we do have free will, and I think is the best explanation of the biblical data. But having said all that, let's talk about some of the reasons why uh, let's let's build a case for determinism here. Now, understand this means that you're going to have to watch the rest of this series, because if you just listen to what we're about to say, you might walk out of this a determinist. Um, and we don't want that. But um, but we do want to show that we do want to present the case. So, first of all, let's ease into this, Tim. And let's just say one reason that it seems like determinism might be true is the reality of cause and effect. It does seem like that this universe, including what, human beings, are all running off of cause and effect. I mean, um, it's like a chain of dominoes, really. I mean, it's like, wh why? Um, how does the car work? Well, the car works because of this engine. Well, how does the engine right. work? It works because of these pistons. What does it run on? It runs on gasoline, and that's about the extent of my knowledge of automobiles. But where does the gasoline come from? It comes from the pump. What, what, who put it in the pump? And there's, there's always a causal relationship, so much so that we build arguments on the idea of cause and effect because we do, we do think that that makes sense, at least with most things. The question is, when it comes to agents, is that the, with human beings, is it still the case? Um, and, and, you know, as determinist Braxton, I could say something like, well, look, 100% of the data that we have, Tim, seems to confirm this idea that if something happens, it is caused by something else that came before it and outside of it. And we have zero counterexamples, unless you want to say that it's the choices of human beings, which we could say might be special pleading. Um, now, I know, I, I know, Tim, I know that you're going to want to respond to that as libertarian, Tim. But is right, there anything right. you want to say as determinist, Tim, to to kind of build to build on to that? Well, as determinist, Tim, I guess uh, I'd point out, I mean, what would you say about uh, quantum mechanics? If we um, are, are we talking about everything that happens or everything that happens to humanity, I guess. 
Where, where are you going with that? So uh, as determinists here, we would have to say, uh, look, and this is, this is what determinists say, is look, it does seem to be the case that at the quantum level, there are events like the collapse of the, of, of the wave function into the superposition. Uh, you look at things like the double slit experiment. It looks like where the particle is going to appear is uh, where the wave function is going to collapse into a particle is indeterminate. It seems like that it's not determined. It's indeterminate. Not that we can't tell what determined it, but that its location is indeterminate. Now, there are, now here, here's where the physicists are on this. They'll say, um, that's what it seems like. And so yeah. we have to, fun we have to, for our equations to work, we have to run on probabilities and, and instead of uh, looking at it in Newtonian physics and it being all determined that way. Some of them will say it seems like it really is indeterminate, like there isn't a deterministic answer. There just isn't and can't be. But um, some will say, no, there may be some hidden variables that are making it deterministic, but we still have to agree that at least right now the best evidence seems to indicate that it's, that it's indeterminacy. But here's the thing, Tim. You and me determinists know that that happens at the quantum level. That's happening with particles at the quantum level. Up here at the macro level of our everyday existence, um, those quantum indeterminacies don't have any hold. And so it would seem that um, whatever you want to say about that, it's not nearly enough to give us what we what, what's going on here up at the quantum level. And, Tim, maybe we should save this until later. So let me just say this in passing. If you had indeterminacy from the quantum level up here at the macro level where we could somehow use it for something, uh, you, things would either be determined, in which case we don't have free will, or because of the quantum indeterminacy, it would be indeterminate, which means we don't have free will. It would be random and arbitrary. So these poor libertarians, they just, they just can't uh, win either way. And I just noticed that Maxwell Yates, the famous determinist, just wrote, finally, y'all two are sounding reasonable. Thank you, Maxwell. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, cause and yeah. effect. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Anything, anything else? Any other thoughts on that? Well, yeah, I mean that's uh, that seems to be the the uh, the job of a scientist when they go into a lab. They assume cause and effect. That every time they find an effect, they're like, uh, okay, what caused this? And that's what they search for. That's the you know that's the whole enterprise of science. It seems to be is cause and effect. So it does seem that way. But then when like. Uh, yeah. Okay. I guess. I mean, I, I want to become. You want to respond, don't you? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Go yeah. ahead. Jump over well, to the say, libertarian, I, Tim. I say, no. No. I, I, I mean, just as, if I was determinist, Tim, that's where I'd I'd be. Uh, especially naturalistic determinist, Tim. That's what I'm saying. Everything about I would agree with Sam Harris and with Sean Carroll, and uh, with uh, Dan Barker, and with Richard Dawkins, and with Daniel Dennett, and man, the list. Uh, you know, with the late Stephen Hawking, goes on and on and on. I would agree with them. If naturalism is true, then uh, determinism seems to follow. And I don't see how you could get out of that. Yep. Uh, yeah. But determinism listen, determinism about humanity, everything about humanity is determined. But listen, by something it might work. Human. It might work better, Tim, if occasionally. Uh, I release the chains and the power of Molina compels you and you're allowed to give some answers. <laughs> but, I'll do whatever, man. Okay. Um, all right. So, so then, so we've got the reality of cause and effect. Also it bears mentioning 
that there was a massive study done by David Chalmers um, in uh, 2013, uh, I think, uh, maybe it's 2014, and they polled uh, philosophers, working philosophers, and graduate students in philosophy on their views on a variety of issues. And when it came to the issue of free will, um, uh, 54%, I think, uh, affirmed compatibilism, which is determinism. 12 point something percent affirmed um, hard determinism, which is the same position, except we're just not using the language of freedom. Um, but and, and only 13 uh, percent affirmed libertarian freedom. So as determinist Tim and Braxton here, and trust me, this is as hard for me as it is for you. The reality is it looks like we've at least got the philosophers in our corner. Now, listen, we can't argue from consensus all the time. But it is nice to know that as determinists, we've got that in our pocket. <laughs> that's right. And it's not just the philosophers. Look at all the scientists. I mean, that's almost uh, I mean, that's a that's yeah. a huge majority, I would guess. Yeah. Of scientists that are in, in our corner as, you know, determinist Braxton and determinist Tim. So. Uh, so, yeah, I think there's, you know, look at can all those scientists and philosophers be wrong? <laughs> there's a good argument right there right i mean it's not um, an, look there's the false appeal to authority or the the fallacious appeal to authority when you're appealing to authority outside of that field but we're appealing to the people in that field right so um, that's right you know all right and, go and, ahead. and you throw in uh, i don't know what the percentage of theologians would be but you throw in the significant number of theologians that would affirm exhaustive determinism too so you know throw that into the mix that's right but you know so because so you asked me for an argument yeah um here, here would be a simple argument Th this is libertarian tim no okay this is determinist okay. Tim. if naturalism is true everything about humanity is causally determined by the forces and events of nature and things outside of human control two naturalism is true three therefore everything about humanity is causally determined so uh, I mean, that's a simple, simple syllogism there. Um, now, I'll just say this. You know, premise one was that naturalism is true. Everything about humanity is causally determined by things other than humanity, right? So I think if naturalism is true, that that's probably true. But we, we've got to do something here. We, we do have to point out that it's not logically impossible for humans to possess libertarian free will if all that exists is nature. Uh, now, this gets us into the difference between strict and broad logical possibilities. So strictly speaking, there's no logical contradiction between the two propositions. One, naturalism is true, and two, humans are free in a libertarian sense. However, there might be a broad or metaphysical impossibility here, and I think that – I think there is, uh, as libertarian uh, Tim speaking, but okay. But um, uh, once all the data and definitions are understood um, – I think this becomes clear. And so when naturalists like Sam Harris and all of his uh, colleagues argue that libertarian freedom is impossible, I, you know, they've got, they seem to have a broad metaphysical impossibility in mind. So, um, so, you know, premise one here isn't just a slam dunk um, because you've got to unpack some things, but I do think it's more probable than it's negation. And so thus it's a good premise that if naturalism is true, um, at least probably humans don't possess uh, libertarian freedom because something, uh, other things, uh, you know, things external to you are causally determining everything about you. So premise two, 
naturalism is true. Well, um, that one's tremendously weak. <laughs> you know, even as a deter as determinist, term, I'd say, well, that one's uh, tremendous. Should be resuming right now. All right, and we're back. Uh, hopefully, you guys are still there. Um, looks like we lost about half of our audience, but oh, hey, no. you win some, you lose some. Uh, all right, <laughs> at so least this is recorded, right? They do can what? Come back and watch. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. And it looks like some of them are coming back now. Maybe there was a notification that was sent out. Uh, yeah, but we're back. Don't know what happened. Computer malfunction. If it happens again, I don't know what we'll do. So. Um, but yeah, so, all right, Tim, so let's see here. Where was I when everything stopped You were working? explaining why libertarians are stupid. <laughs> yes, because I am determinist, Yep, Tim Stratton, right now. All right, let, let's just move on. So, so we've got the, uh, yeah, you were saying that if naturalism is true, but naturalism, that's a very controversial claim, right? That's, we, we wouldn't... Yeah expect that that would be taken so easily a good uh, argument has to have premises that are plausible and that is like a huge claim to say that right so all right let's and, move and as, just Go really ahead. quickly and as you know there are some naturalists that also affirm libertarian freedom and so they're going to reject that first premise I, i'd say they are in the minority um but they make really good arguments. In fact, I think their arguments are really good. So like, like you were saying earlier, they might punt to mystery as to how that works, but they still realize um, that we've got to make room for libertarian freedom somewhere and somehow. They typically, but the reason why they're naturalists is they won't go and ground that by way of God or God creating us in his image. So. Right on. All right. So so the reality of cause and effect is one reason why some people would believe that determinism is true. And there, there might be something to it. Um, oh, great. Uh, Tim's video is no longer lagging. So that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, the next thing is neuroscience experiments. Um, there have been several neuroscience experiments and psychological studies that are meant to show that our decisions are made before we become consciously aware of them. And if that's the case, then that would count in favor of determinism because it seems like the choice was already made before you became aware and thought you were making the choice. The most yeah. famous of these is from uh, Benjamin Libet. Um, I'm going to read a passage from a, a paper that I found online that just kind of summarized to this. I thought really well. Um, it, it didn't attribute this to anybody. So if this is your paper, sorry about that. Um, but it says, more recently, experiments in neuroscience have claimed to demonstrate that decisions are actually made in the brain prior to us being consciously aware of them. If that is right, then this seems to undermine the possibility of free will. The Libet experiment, the most famous of these experiments, is that of Benjamin Libet. In that experiment, tests, all right, here it is. Test subjects were hooked up to a brain scanner and asked to flex their wrist whenever they wanted to. They were also asked to watch a special clock and record the time at which they made each decision to flex. What Libet found is that test subjects reported that they made a decision to flex on average about 0.15 seconds before their muscles actually flexed after correcting for the 0.05 second error of subjects. However, the brain showed signs of ramping up to flex. He calls this the readiness potential or RP on average about 0.55 seconds before their muscles flexed. Graph depicting, oh, there's a, okay, there's a graph in the paper, I don't have it here. The brain shows signs of being uh, 
about to produce muscle motion about 0.4 seconds before we report that we are aware of having made a decision to move our muscles. What this means for free will, the result seems to indicate that what may seem to be freely made decision is actually a decision that is made unconsciously before one is consciously aware of having made it. If that is correct, then there seems to be no room to say that we are consciously in control of our decision. So there's actually a modern version of this, guys. And um, there's a uh, I hope we're still running now. I hope we're still online. OK, we are. Um, th th there's actually a, uh, a modern version of this where if you, if you pay for YouTube Red, which is YouTube's premium service, there's a show on there called Mindfield. And um, Mindfield, has, this guy put, shows this experiment where there's two boxes and a button on either box. And yeah, feel free. I see some people sh trying to shoot down the Libet experiments in the chat. You can do that because we're in characters, so we can't do that. So you do that. Um, but so you've got these two boxes that have buttons on them and a light above them so that if you push the button, the light will come on. And basically they have this, this cap on these people that has electrodes measuring their brain states. And they say, push whichever button you want whenever you want. And the person goes to push the button. And in almost every case, the light above the box they were about to choose to push comes on before they push the button. And these people are just freaked out by this, like this thing is reading their mind. And indeed, it's supposed to be reading their mind. It's really supposed to be reading their brain states. And so this is this will come up. This experiment will come up in every book written by a determinist on this subject that you will find, because this is supposed to be the family of neuroscience experiments that have just absolutely debunked or at least made it really improbable that we have free will because it seems like our decisions are made before we're aware that we're making those decisions. Determinist or libertarian, um, Tim Stratton, what say you? Well, uh, as a determinist, Tim Stratton, I would definitely, I would have included that in my book um, <laughs> from a theological perspective or a naturalist perspective. Uh, however, let me uh, get back to true form here. Um, we should expect, number one, a readiness potential. And that's simply, a, a, if you think about what a readiness potential means, that you're ready to do something or not to do something. You're ready. You could do it. If you're ready, you could do it. I mean, it's like CV's Pac and Parabellum. If you want peace, prepare for war. You're prepared for war. It doesn't mean you're going to go to war. You don't want to do war, but you're ready for it if, if you need to. Um, so merely having a readiness potential uh, doesn't mean you're determined. Maybe the bit getting ready for something is causally determined. But remember, I'm not arguing for exhaustive libertarian freedom here. I'm, I'm arguing for limited libertarian freedom. So with that in mind, I do think there's some things that are causally determined. And maybe, just maybe, those button-pushing tests are one of the things uh, that, that are causally determined. I think about, you know, I used to be a, a professional MMA fighter and a coach for, for many years. I only had two fights. I was one and one. Wasn't that great, but I was a pretty good coach. In fact, the current champion at 170 pounds right now in the, in the UFC, Kamara Usman used to be my student. Um, that's awesome, man. But yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, and now he's making the big bucks. It's crazy. For those of um, you that don't like the idea of Christians liking or engaging in UFC, one of our students who was a UFC fighter once said, Tim, I, I'm a, I believe our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I don't believe that two temples ought to be fighting each other, but 
if two temples are going to fight each other, I'm going to go watch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great. Well, you know, uh, yeah, that, don't get me started. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Bring me back on to talk about MMA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when I, when I would do that and when I would spar the guys that I was training, um, I, there's really, I don't think, especially when you're in the mix and the punches and kicks are just flying. Well, there was freedom along the way, I believe, where I chose to go to the gym. I chose to humble myself and get uh, instruction um, from those who, whom I should learn from. I, I chose to drill different moves over and over until they became muscle memory. I made a whole bunch of choices along the way. So then when I get into the octagon and the punches and kicks are just flying, bam, 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 I'm not thinking, how will I freely choose to block this kick, this roundhouse kick coming stri- straight to my face or not to block it? I don't think there's libertarian freedom in that sense at, at that time. But I think there is some libertarian freedom along the way that leads up to that. But pushing buttons and blocking kicks and punches is a totally different animal than, say, inference to the best explanation. Right. And what you're talking about there, Tim what, so let's say we gave the limit experiment everything at once, which we, we can't because, um, uh, for one thing, uh, where was this person that said this Adam Sullivan somewhere said, uh, anyway, I can't find it now, but they pointed out that the point was you do have free won't, you can override the decision. This is one thing Libet discovered is even though there is this time, but this, uh, lag time between the readiness potential and the, and the uh, awareness to, to push the button and then pushing the button, um, there, there is this veto power you have to cancel the action. Indeed, if you watch the experiment that is the more updated version of the Libet, where the individual goes to push the button and the light comes on, sometimes when they see the light go on, they stop, you know, because they're mm. like, wait, what? And um, you can veto it, which would mean you have free won't, which yeah. means you have free will, right? Because That's you can exactly veto. Right. And actually would go along well with Christian theological positions because we could say there is a propensity in us to do sinful things, but we can restrict ourselves from doing yes. those things. But even if we gave them everything that they want out of these limit experiments, what you're pointing out is the right thing, which is to say, look, the truth is um, you're talking about picking things. And we could almost make a distinction between picking versus choosing. You know, when I'm walking up to a gas station and there's two glass doors there, I don't really think about which door I'm going to go through. I just grab the door and, and grab whichever one, you know, it's, it's just, right. it's picking or blocking a punch. Like you said, in UFC, you're, you, this is just something that you you're kind of conditioned to. So there is an element of less libertarian freedom. You're not really thinking about it there, but when you're thinking about who am I going to marry, where, where am I going to go to church? What, what, where am I going to eat dinner tonight? Does Should, free will exist or not? Does free will exist or not? That, that is a, there is definitely conscious decision-making there because you don't make the decision until long after the conscious awareness of it. But the problem with all these neuroscience studies and, and, um, and Alfred Maley has a great book on this that we were talking about the other day, Tim, where he goes through all the neuroscience studies and shows that they don't uh, support this conclusion that free will is dead. And, and what, what he's saying is they, they all make this broad leap from, okay, we have evidence that there is some unconscious decision-making happening Therefore, all your decision making is unconscious, which is yeah. ridiculous. So right. I think that bears to be mentioned now before Tim, before we go on, I have a couple of super chats from the unapologetic apologist. One says, trust the body and stop listening to the thing that's criticizing the body. That's Jordan Peterson. And then they say, uh, the, uh, I'm blessed to have you both as friends and brothers in Christ. Tim, got to get you back on the show. Love you, brother. 
Thank so that's you so a much. Stellman Smith, a great guy, great apologist, great thinker. Yep. And a good friend. Yep. And I debated him on this subject, actually. Uh, what are you talking about? He played a character and, 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 and debated me as an atheist on this subject and did really well. Wow. Did better than, well, I won't go there. All right. Um, uh, so <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what's another, what's another thing that we could point out? And we kind of hit this earlier. There is, now we're determinists, Braxton and Tim again. That's right. All right. Back in um, the character. And here's the thing. There are what are called, there, there is what is called the intelligibility problem. Now, most YouTubers may not be aware of that term, uh, that phrase, but in the literature, this is called the intelligibility problem. And it's the idea that, look, um, either you're determined or there's some indeterminacy and it's random. Like if, if it's not determined, then that you're saying there wasn't a cause. And so it's random. It, you don't even know what you're going to do. And that, that doesn't give you free will either. And that is touted by some as the Achilles heel of libertarian freedom. Now, I've run into two kinds of people on this, Tim. I've run into among libertarians. I've run into some libertarians who say, I just don't see the problem. I don't like what you're saying is just in one ear and out the other, because it, it's like you're just presuming determinism is true in order to say determinism is true. Um, but then there are other libertarians, frankly, like libertarian Braxton Hunter, my alter ego is, who have seen this as a relevant concern, something that needs to be answered. There needs to be some answer given for it. Um, and, and so the, the idea basically is, well, I've already said it, either you're determined or if you're not determined, and if you want to say you're self-determined, even if you want to say you're self-determined, which is how those ragtag libertarian Tim and Braxton say that you're self-determined, even there, if you're, if, if that, why, like, where did that free choice come from? Didn't it come from what you most wanted to do? And doesn't that mean the influences that you most wanted to satisfy were the things that caused you to do the thing? And if you say no, because I didn't necessarily choose what I most wanted, doesn't that mean that whatever you did choose was what you most wanted? And so this kind of becomes a dizzying problem that it doesn't look like there's an escape from for these lousy libertarians. Yeah, so, I mean, Sam Harris... I think on page five of his book, Free Will, I was looking for the uh, quote right now. <laughs> I've got my dissertation here and I uh, can't find where I put it. Um, but uh, yeah, he says, he, he makes the same point. He says either, uh, I'm not going to quote him correctly here, but he says either uh, basically uh, the forces of nature determine our wills and we are not responsible for them or they are the product of chance i think referring to quantum mechanics mm -hmm. and we're not responsible for them so uh he's going to agree with you there um now when you talk about uh and i'm i gotta say i gotta get back into libertarian time here um when you talk about choosing based upon your greatest desire if that's always the case then we've got the same kind of rationality problems that I was uh, talking about earlier because your greatest desire, I mean, if, if all of your beliefs are aimed at your greatest desire, then they're not aimed at truth. You got the same problem with the evolutionary argument against naturalism, but for different reasons. Um, and, and even then when you would start to try to evaluate, Oh, did I just pick something based upon my greatest desire? Let me see what I should do. Oh, well now your greatest desire is determining what you will do there. So greatest desires uh, don't work when you're talking about rationality or uh, rationally and 
uh, inferred or affirmed claims of knowledge. Um, I was once having a debate with the, a theological determinist who was trying to argue against Molinism. And he said, um, you can only, I should say he asserted, you know, he, he's got an assumption here. You can only choose based upon your greatest desire at a given moment. And I said, oh, is that why you reject Molinism? And he said, no, I reject Molinism for at least 16 different reasons. And I said, well, then that's different from your greatest desire. You know, <laughs> reasons are different than your greatest desire unless you conflate the word reason with causation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I like to show people the difference between uh, choosing based on your greatest desire and choosing based on reasons. And if we're reasonable people, then we don't choose based on our greatest desire. So, again, that's an assumption. Uh, I see that often. I mean, I, I've seen uh, both atheists like uh, a guy from Austin, Texas. I can't think of his name right now. Ph philosopher. Well-known guy. Uh, sure. I've got an article written on it. I can't think of his name. Um and I've seen many Christians argue that way that are determinists, that you can only uh, choose based on your greatest desire. And my response is, why think a thing like that? Why can't there be multiple options, uh, alternative options, each of which is compatible with our nature at a given time? That's quite an assumption to say, no, you can only do one thing uh, compatible with your nature. I say, why can't I do two things compatible with my nature? I, an argument is required, and I've never heard uh, – much more than an assumption on that one. So, so I don't know I, if I answered your question. You did. And so I, um, I have a, you know, obviously because I recently had a debate on this, I have my own thoughts in addition to those that I would share, but I'm going to, I'm going to let those wait until I do a video specifically on the intelligibility problem. Um, but let's, uh, let's move on then. Now we've talked a little bit about philosophical determinism. Let's talk a little bit about biblical determinism. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the claim that uh, the Bible teaches determinism. So if you're a Christian, you definitely should be a determinist. And obviously, this doesn't mean we're going to go through all the quote-unquote Calvinist uh, supporting texts, but I'm going to look for some that, that, have, that seem to imply something like determinism, at least with some things. Um, Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin? or the leopard his spots, then you also can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, the, the claim that a Calvinist will make about this is, look, it's telling you here, just like an Ethiopian can't change his skin, or a leopard change the pattern of spots that he has, you um, can't do good. You know, there's, there's, there's something here that, like, you can't do it. it it's, you're not free to yeah. do it. You can't do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Jeremiah 17, uh, well, yeah, Jer Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us why this is supposed to be the case. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Um, let's see what else. Uh, let's see. Um, Romans seven eighteen. for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. You know, that one, <laughs> I have to step out of character for a minute. Because that one actually supports free will. Because uh, read, read it again. Uh, uh, Romans seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Mm. Yeah, the willing is there. You know, that's a nuanced point that we ought to make. That um, that even in certain circumstances um, where the Calvinist says you are bound by your nature to only ever do one thing. Your point is, no, no, no. According to my nature, I might be able to do multiple things. The, the point is though, 
you, you might be free to, like, I don't have a nature that allows me to fly like a bird, but I can still freely will to fly like a bird, yeah. even if I can't deliver on it, right? That's right. Um, oh, Some here we go. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You, Tim, were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working on the sons of disobedience. So what will hap- people will say is, look, you're, you're, what can a dead man do? You know, that's Calvinists always say that. What can a dead man do? A dead man can't do anything, right? And Well, and, according to Calvin and Luther and Melanchthon, um, actually, they could do a few things. Yeah. They just couldn't do anything about their salvation. Um, right. Oh, sorry, man. It's so hard for me to not. To no, be I know, because I want to say a dead yeah. man, according to Calvinism, can do all kinds of things. He can That's walk right. and talk and speak and jump. He can make decisions. He can only uh-huh. he can make bad decisions. He can even make some good decisions from a human perspective. He can even make spiritual decisions. The only thing that he can't do that a dead man can't do in this sense is the one thing he's commanded to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. But yeah, even uh, even Calvin and Luther and. Uh, and Melanchthon, I mean, Philip Melanchthon uh, recognizes the systematic theologian of the Reformation, and he was close with Luther. I mean, uh, Melanchthon's writings are awesome. He really makes it clear that we've got a libertarian freedom, and especially when it comes to rationality uh, and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, they would call it, I think uh, Calvin and Luther, they talked about um, like things uh, – things on uh, the first table or the third table, or, you know, I, I can't remember off the top of my head, um, things above, things below, uh, like, yeah, we've got freedom and things below in the physical world. You know, I can choose to throw a stone or to put it in my pocket. I can choose to sit down or stand up. I can choose to put on a jacket or take my jacket off, things like that. But they would say, no, you, but you can't do anything. You can't make any choice. Uh, leading to your salvation. That's all God. Well, again, that's like what Greg Kokel would, would affirm. Um, he's a five-point Calvinist, so he'd ag- agree. Yeah, you can't do anything uh, regarding uh, your salvation um, freely, but hey, a whole bunch of other things are, uh, you, you possess libertarian free will with with these other things in mind. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, there's so much biblical data though. Uh, where you were going, I think, was just there is biblical data that at first glance, anyway, does seem to support uh, determinism. And in fact, uh, the second chapter of my book that's coming out, um, the second chapter is just devoted to all the Bible verses. I don't try to argue one way or another in oh, the second chapter. Great. I just say, hey, let's look at all the verses that, why are there so many Christian determinists out there? Here's the verses that, that uh, you know, uh, push people in that direction. Then why is there a disagreement? Well, let's look at all the verses that, that, that uh, cause all these libertarian freedom fighters to to pop up, and and then I then I show some verses that seem to have a flavor of both, kind of like the one you you just mentioned. It seems like uh, it's argued over, like, well, no, that's my verse. No, that's my right. verse. Um, and I, I I simply say, okay, let's here's all the verses that cause all the controversy, and then at the end I I just note. Uh, look, we have to have a view that makes sense of the entire Bible. You either punt to mystery, but you can't affirm a view that only makes sense of half of them or a, a small percentage of them or even a large percentage of them, but not all of them. You have to have a view 
that either makes sense of all of them. And if you can't do that, you got to punt to mystery at some point. But I think we do have a, a model to make sense of all, all of them. So. Yeah. And, and, um, and I was, so I actually have a notebook here from my old Calvinist debate days. And um, I have in there every single Calvinist proof text that I'm aware of. Oh, really? And um, the reason I have that, and I actually have a chart that tells me what page of the notebook it's on because I was, that's, I'm big on preparation. And if someone um, had brought up a verse, I could just flip to it and yeah. already have my answer, how I, how I handle it there. Um, but I was going to go through a lot more of those. Let's not do that, but let's just point to one that seems really strong. Okay. And that is Acts four twenty seven and 28, which says, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So the Calvinist reading of this text says, look, there are individual persons named and an action that they took, basically what happened to Jesus, and that all of this was done by the power and will of God that he decided beforehand should happen. So now, again, we both have the answers to that. Um, uh, but the point is that uh, here, you know, you, a Molinist answer to that was you could say, look, um, yeah, God actualized a world of free creatures where that ended up happening. Right. Um, yet they still had libertarian freedom in the midst of it. But a simple foreknowledge view of this could just say what, what was what they what God planned that would happen is the crucifixion of Jesus on the basis of his knowledge that sinful man would would do the things that sinful man does. But it didn't have to be Herod and Pontius Pilate and all these kind of things. They libertarianly freely acted in that way. But on first reading, like you said, and I may have lost you. Are you still there, Tim? Uh, yeah, I'm here. But but the, the, on simple reading, it looks like it's saying, look. All of these things were causally determined in exactly the way they played out such that nobody had any libertarian freedom. Yeah. So when I was a Calvinist, I would argue the exact same way. Um, and, and, I, and I would, I would, you know, and, and this was probably a mistake at that time. It was, but I would say, well, if there's no freedom here, then there's no freedom anywhere. Now that's, that's quite a jump, right? right. But that's what I would do at the time. And, uh, again, I would say even if they're right about that passage, it doesn't mean that exhaustive determinism or exhaustive divine determinism is true. That's a much uh, bigger claim to make and defend. Uh, you can point out one instance of determinism and another instance of determinism and many more. That doesn't mean exhaustive divine determinism is true. And like I said, I, I offered a couple arguments showing that, man, if you're going to rationally conclude that Calvinism is the best explanation or that Calvinism is true, then you have to have libertarian freedom to do that. And so, uh, so there's now you have to now they have to show why libertarian freedom isn't uh, required to do that. And uh, I don't think they can, but. With that said, back to that verse, the Molinist does have an answer because we affirm exhaustive divine predestination, which is different than exhaustive divine causal determinism. And so a Molinist uh, completely affirms predestination. And I, I go as far as to say exhaustive predestination of everything. In fact, um, I affirm double predestination. Uh, which many Calvinists are scared to do because uh, because of 
what it means if God causally determines that. But since I affirm uh, predestination across the board, I have no problem affirming uh, uh, double predestination. But predestination, to many people's surprise, is not uh, necessary or is not necessarily um, causal determinism. It yeah, could... well, real quick, Tim. So yeah. I, I'm going to do this as quickly and simply as I can. Molinism is the perspective that God has not only knowledge of the future and the past and what's going on now, but he has knowledge of everything that could have happened under different circumstances. So if he had created and differently or people had acted differently— happened. He still knows what's going to what would have happened in all those other circumstances. So he looks at those available worlds where he gives man free will and the one that best aligns with his with what he wants. And most Molinists will, will cash that out to the one where the most people freely accept Christ and become Christians. He actualizes that world. That's the one that he creates. These other worlds don't actually exist, but he knows what would have happened. So he creates the one where he knows these things would happen by actualizing that world of free creatures. He is, in a certain sense, predestining everything that happens in that world down to the movement of every molecule in the sense right. that he could have chosen to do it to do a different world. But he chose this yeah. world. But that doesn't mean you're not free. You still have libertarian freedom because he chose among worlds where you have libertarian freedom. So you may have to run back and listen to that two or three more times. And also, Tim has on his channel an episode explaining what is Molinism. Yeah, on the uh, on the website, freethinkerministries.com and the YouTube channel, Freethinking Ministries. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say there? No, I think you said it well. Okay, cool. I've been yeah. trying to, I've been having to do that for church people for years now. So I've, I've got it down. Here's, here's my favorite way to do it. And the people on the channel have heard me say this before. Is if, if people want to act like Molinism is some weird philosophical comic booky multiple worlds type thing, here's what you do. Go up to a random little old lady or little old man after church on Sunday Walk up to them and say, ma'am, you're a Molinist. I bet you're a Molinist. And she'll say, I don't even know what that is. And you say, well, let me ask you a couple of questions. Does God know everything that's ever happened? Yes. Does God know everything that will happen? Yes. Does God know everything that's happening right now? Yes. Let me ask you a question. If I hadn't walked up to you and harassed you with this conversation right now, but you had left the service and gotten in your car, do you know, does, does God know what you would have been doing instead in the car, like uh, digging in your purse or listening to the radio? Well, yeah, God would know that. Okay, well, then you're a Molinist. That's right. <laughs> That's the simplest. That's right. Simplest yep. way to do it. All right. Um, so there are some other objections to that uh, with theological determinant that theological some reasons one should be a theological determinist that determinist would give. Uh, people can't have free will if God is omniscient. Um, mm. So if God knows everything that you're going to do, then you will do that thing. And we agree. Libertarian Braxton and Tim agree. But if he knows everything you're going to do, you will do that thing. And you can't change your mind because if you changed your mind, God would be wrong. So if God has omniscience, then you aren't free. And in fact, Calvinists and open theists, the, the group of Christians who believe that God doesn't know everything or God knows everything that can be known, but not everything about the future can be known. Um, open theists, they agree, many of them, on this point. The Calvinist says, yeah. God does know all the future and it is determined. The open theist says, okay, that would be true. So for other, for that, and among other reasons, God doesn't know the future and you're free. Um, and that, that's one thing, but now I can't leave that hanging there because I, you know, we're doing a terrible jo job, Tim. I know because the idea was to be determinists here. 
Hey. All we're doing is presenting these criticisms of libertarianism and then answering them as libertarians. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, yeah. I, you just asked me to give an argument. I gave one argument. I gave the syllogism. Yeah. That's an argument. And, and I got another one I could give to. It's my but. fault. It's my fault. But here's the simple answer. This is a categorical problem, a category error. God knowing something doesn't make it be the case. God knows what we will freely do. So if you act differently, that's what God would have known from eternity past. He knows what you will do, not what you must do. And um, that's an important feature. And um, yeah. Alvin Plantinga does a thing on that. It doesn't sound very spiritual the way he puts it. But he said it's, we have counterfactual power over God's knowledge of, in the past. I don't like that because it doesn't sound pious enough. But I'll just say it this way. God knows what we will freely do. That's that's the that's the thing. Yeah, you know, uh, I like to cash out like this. You know, uh, Molinism would entail the following uh, on a on a categorical ability. So, uh, uh, proposition one: uh, God knows Sally would freely choose X instead of not X if He were to create her in a non-causal deterministic circumstance. Call it C. All right. So. So that's what God knows. Uh, if, if middle knowledge is true, before Sally even exists, um, and even if Sally never exists, right? Maybe God chooses not to create Sally. But God knows that if he created Sally, that Sally would freely choose X instead of not X if he were to create her in non-causal deterministic circumstance C. All right, then God creates Sally in that circumstance, in non-causal deterministic circumstance C. Now, if that's the case, God knows Sally will freely choose X instead of not X in non-causal deterministic circumstance C. So here's the takeaway from that. All that changes there is the word would transforms to will, but the word freely doesn't magic magically disappear. Right? That's so, good. I like that. Yeah. So all that changes is the the word would to will, but it's would freely changes to will freely. It's still free in a libertarian sense. There's remember it's a non-causal deterministic circumstance. So it really comes down to this: Does an omnipotent God possess the power and the ability to create uh, freedoms or to create creatures whom He is not always causally determining? Does He have the ability to create a free creature? or not. And, and, and so check this out. I, I like to point out that uh, Calvinists often seem to be uh, open theists of sort, of sorts anyway, at least they affirm that God can't, even, you know, the Calvinist who's an exhaustive divine determinist, they say that uh, in the actual world, it's exhaustive divine determinism. But if they say that it's possible that God, an omnipotent God has the power to create a free creature, um, but they can't know, but they, they'll say that God can't middle know their free actions. If they deny God's middle knowledge at that point, uh, then they're, then they affirm open theism in some possible worlds. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty good. I never yeah. thought about that one. <laughs> and that's the last thing. I mean, I'll tell you this. Most Calvinists, they don't like Molinists. They hate open they theism. They hate open theism. <laughs> yeah, so. Hey, Maxwell Yates says, Trinity Radio, I challenge Tim to a debate. So y'all will have to get together and work that out. Uh, you know who that is, don't you? 
I don't know if I do. That's Stillman. He he has an alter ego that's what? Maxwell Yates. Oh, he's going down then. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, okay. Well, even if you okay, so we're almost done here, folks. But um, okay, so Libertarian Braxton and Tim just shot that down. But um, Determinist Braxton and Tim have another question. Isn't it still the case that at least for God, you can't have God can't have free will because um, the truth is that. God at least knows what God will do. And God can't change his mind. It doesn't even make any sense to say he would change his mind. He knows exhaustively everything he will do. So even if knowledge isn't causal for other people, surely it has some bearing on God because God knows what God will do and thus can't do otherwise. Mm. And by the way, this is Dan Barker's fang argument, the free will argument uh, for the non-existence of God. Yeah, the fang. How's that go? Did fang, you, did, the free yeah. will argument for the non-existence of God. Does he? Uh, does he have a syllogism that goes along with that? I don't think there was a syllogism, but uh, I don't think so. It's more just colloquially put. Okay. Okay. Go um, ahead and respond to it. Yeah. So uh, let's see. I'm looking for an article I wrote not too long ago. Give me a second here. Where did it go? Well, it's called, let me, let me get this up here. What is it called? Uh, here we go. So I, I want to point out uh, that for, the first thing we got to point out is that there's, you know, I just want to re uh, remind everybody that's following along here. It's vital to remember that there's basically two definitions of libertarian freedom. Got the first one um, it is the PAP, the principle of alternative possibilities, uh, a.k.a. the ability to do otherwise version of libertarian freedom. And the second is uh, the sourcehood version of libertarian freedom, uh, which simply means that a person is not causally determined by something other than the person. So when it comes to, let's talk about uh, God's love. All right, so when it comes to God's love, I've argued that um, God, since he's an omnibenevolent being, that he just loves and he can't freely choose to not love. <laughs> he can't love otherwise, if that makes sense. Um, but he's still free in a libertarian sense. Uh, God is not causally determined by something other than him to love. You know, just First John 4, 8 makes it clear that God is love. So with that data in mind, um, we can say, well, look, God, uh, God loves, but he cannot um, not love. But even if he knew that he would love anybody that he creates, that doesn't mean that he's not free to love in a libertarian sense because nothing causally determines God's love. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not caused by something other than God. So it's still free in a libertarian sense. So I guess with, with uh, what I'd want to challenge Dan Barker with is um, even if God doesn't have the ability to do otherwise in some specific circumstances, it still doesn't follow that it's not free um, in a libertarian sense because nothing else causally determines God. Mm -hmm. If he knows he's going to freely do it or not, he's, it's still what he would freely do. Um, and I'll, I've also got an article on my website um, called uh, A Choice Apart from Time. A lot of this 
comes down to what God knows in a timeless state and how God makes choices in a timeless state. And so it's not chronologically that uh, we, we can't anthropomorphize and, and put the way humans think and engage in the process of rationality on God. Uh, God uh, thinks and makes decisions before time, even you know, before the clock starts ticking. God knows things in a logical manner and makes choices in a logical manner apart from time, not in a chronological manner uh, with time. So again, if Dan Barker is saying, well, God, God's not free because he knows what he's going to do. Well, even if there's some things that he doesn't possess the ability to do otherwise on, like love, uh, it doesn't mean he's still not free in a libertarian sense. And simply knowing how God will freely choose doesn't mean he's still not free to do it. So that's the first thing I'd challenge him with. What, what would you add to that? No, I think you're right. So we've got two things. This is why I hear you saying you've got the principle of alternative pa possibilities that one can do other uh, than whatever they, they end up doing. And then you've got the source sense of libertarian freedom that says simply nothing external to the agent causally determines what the agent will do. Now, this is one reason why I think even the strongest Calvinists should, even though they don't always, should think that God has that form of libertarian freedom. Because in a spaceless, timeless state, as classical theism gives you, there simply wasn't anything external to God to determine God's actions. He must have libertarian freedom. And in fact, Chris Date even agreed with me about that the other day on this show. Um, but then when you go to the principle of alternative possibilities, knowledge isn't causal even for God. God knows what God will freely do. And yeah, he's not going to change his mind, but I thought you pointed out real God's thinking is different than ours. The reason we might change our mind is because we're putting together ideas and thinking things through and we're coming to conclusions that we didn't know we were going to come to. Um, and so we might change our mind. God, God's omniscient. This is what it means to be right. omniscient. He knows what he'll freely do, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean he's not free. It just means yeah. the free decision he would make among possibilities he knew he would make from eternity. Yeah. So, you know, uh, now I have argued, and I do this in my dissertation, that God possesses the ability to do otherwise some of the time. Uh, and I think the vast majority of Christian theologians would believe, even, even the most hardcore Calvinists, most of them would probably agree that God had the ability to create or not to create. And if they say, no, God had to create, well, then that means our existence is just as necessary as God's existence or that God needed humanity for something. Um, and that that's going to cause many more theological problems. So most will agree. Yeah. God has had the ability to create or not to create that's libertarian freedom right there. And the, and the principle of alternative possibilities or ability to do otherwise sense. Um, but even I, like I said, there's some things in which he does not have the path um, ability. And, and those things he's still free in a libertarian sense because He's not causally determined. Yeah, real quick, just so this else. is a stronger resource, I would say um, uh, our mutual um, associate or a person that we have both interacted with, Tyler Vela, um, actually had a debate on with an open theist on the Gospel Truth Channel not too long ago. And it's a very aggressive debate, but I want to say, and of course I've had a debate with Tyler Vela, and so we differ on things. Obviously, he's a Calvinist, but... I actually think he did a really good job because I see some people in the chat saying, look, in the Bible, God did change his mind about things. Um, and the, the classic answer to that is, well, those are anthropomorphisms. Those are mm -hmm. um, ways that God condescends to us. Language is being used in Scripture that makes sense from our perspective of what God's doing. But 
I never was really 100% satisfied with certain passages, but I thought Tyler did a real good job in that debate making the case. So anyone who wants to hear an open theist and someone who is not an open theist, although they are a Calvinist, dealing with those issues, I, I thought that was a valuable debate, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Tim, yeah. let's, 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 now we're done almost, but we've got two little things I want to cover here at the end. So if we're, de- de- if we're determinists, Braxton and Tim, and, and we've, we've now come to the conclusion that, look, um, well, we've got, we've got two determinist sets. We've got determinist Braxton and Tim who are atheist naturalists. We've got determinist Braxton and Tim who are theological determinists. Um, yeah. And then we've got the real libertarian Christian Braxton and Tim. But um, <laughs> <laughs> these are all multiple worlds that God could have perhaps actual. No, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but here's the thing. So, but let's just say we're compatibilists here. Why might we still, how might we make sense of free will? And there's two things I want to cover here. One thing that a compatibilist determinist, remember a compatibilist is a determinist. And one thing that he might say is, or she, is, well, we're different from the animals and and free will is a meaningful concept, even though it's all determined, because we have what is called hierarchical thinking. And this is something that comes up in the literature. So hierarchical thinking says, Okay, my dog, Indiana, I've got a dog that I really love, and he seems like a person to me. I mean, he, you know, we, we kind of put that on animals, and we see their personality. But I don't think that my dog, Indiana, is having thoughts about his thoughts, right? Indiana is thinking, food, 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 there's food, 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 and he goes and eats the food. And he has these impulses. He wants to sit by my wife, and I don't even think he's ever had a real conscious thought about her existence. He just knows when I'm around and I don't even think he puts it in these words, but he knows that when he's around her, he feels good or he's happier or whatever, you know? So he, he has these first level thoughts, these impulses that really are in some sense instincts. But then we, as, as, um, as human beings have hierarchical thinking, we can have thoughts about our thoughts. Why do I want food right now? Um, we, we can have thoughts about ourselves thinking about our thoughts. I can have thoughts about you having thoughts about me having second level thoughts. And because of that, when it comes to the intelligibility problem, it's still there. The determinist would say that it's either determined or it's random. So it's determined. But what they would say is they'd say, look, um, yeah, you like if you walk this is a classic example, I always use if you walk into the room and you've got chocolate cake over here versus the treadmill. Your impulse, your doggy-like response might be, go eat that chocolate cake and rub it all over your face. But because you have hierarchical thinking, you can kind of rise above that and say, yeah, but I also want to lose weight, and the treadmill would help me with that, and foregoing the chocolate cake. So I'm going to go up to this hierarchical, higher level of thinking and analyze this from above and make a better decision or a more involved decision and we can call that hierarchical thinking free will, and it gives you everything that you want. Now, libertarian Christian Tim, how would you respond to that that gives us everything we want from free will? Well, if we're talking about exhaustive determinism, once again, it doesn't get you anything. Because when you're going to say, well, I can, th- if somebody says, I can think and deliberate between the chocolate cake or the treadmill, well, what do you mean by I? Is physics and chemistry causally determining that choice or did you do it now if you did it the thing you call i then what is significant about this hierarchical thinking is that you are able to reason and make the choice you weren't causally determined by something or someone else so really 
And you and I saw this when we were having our back and forth with Guillaume Bignon on uh, exhaustive divine determinism. Well, you, we can have the same problem when it comes to exhaustive naturalistic determinism. The word exhaustive, I use it in, intentionally and for good reason, because it just places a lot of weight, because people love, or they often, it's easy to start speaking like you've got libertarian freedom, um, even when you're still affirming determinism, and you just have to stop and say, well, wait, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And uh, But that, that word exhaustive kind of traps them. It kind of taps them out and makes them realize the problem uh, that if everything is exhaustively causally determined by something or someone other than you, then you don't stand in a position to know if uh, free will exists or if determinism is true. Something or someone else determined that for you. Again, if you can't decide what you ought to believe, or I'll say it like this, you can't decide what you ought to believe if someone or something else determines what you will believe. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, I think probably we can leave it there. We can, um, we can, there's another couple of objections, but we've gone really long and I've taken up a lot of your time. And the point is, this series is going to mostly consist of me, Braxton Hunter, going through these different areas and uh, presenting why we think the libertarian case is the best position to hold and responding to the best objections so that we'll have this as a playlist in the future and a resource for people to go back to. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to do this first one with Tim, and we're going to bring Tim back at some point in the series because he's done a lot of thinking on this. And, um, and, and I think that I thought that he would make for a good, a good person to discuss this with. And I think that's obvious. Um, you bring a level of depth to this. You've done your PhD work on it. And I think that you, you've represented it well. And so we can say, to Bebe Rexha and the Florida Georgia line <laughs> that it's not necessarily the case that, well, maybe a Molinist could sing this. A Molinist could perhaps sing this. <laughs> if it's meant to be, it'll be right. I mean, yeah, if it's deter if it's, if that is the world, maybe they're Molinist. Bebe Rexha is probably a Molinist scholar <laughs> and she's trying to argue not determinism, just that, if this is the world that God actualized where that happens, then it will happen. And of course, that's true. It just doesn't mean that it, it, it must happen. And of course, she intentionally, I'm certain, didn't use it must happen or it must be just it'll be, which, of course, is true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we maybe have saved the day for Florida Georgia line. <laughs> you know, I'll just uh, I'll make one uh, quick comment here. Sometimes when you're talking to compatibilists, They'll say, hey, wait, wait, you can be a libertarianism or you can be a libertarian and still affirm compatibilism because compatibilism is just the thesis that determinism and free will are compatible. And so what I've done recently is just said, OK, look, I'll grant you your thesis. I'm going to show why your thesis cannot explain reality. So when we say, yeah, compatibilists are determinists, that's what I mean, too. Compatibilists are determinists <laughs> because uh, – at least if you're saying that compatibilism corresponds to reality and we'll show that then that determinism and compatibilism both have the same problems. 
I think so. Well, thanks so much for being here, Tim. And to everybody else, this has been fun. I so appreciate you coming out. I realize now that I scheduled this to take place at the same time Matt Dillahunty and Jonathan McClatchy are over on uh, Modern Day Debates arguing about the resurrection. So, oh, really? Um, yeah, that's that's on me. Um, but listen, um, we will. Uh, let's see. Where's my where's my outro music? I got to have my outro music. Uh, oh, well, we'll just, we'll just, oh, here it is. Here we go. Um, but, uh, listen, Tim, will you come back on the show sometime during this series? Yeah, I'd love to. And everybody go check out free thinking free. What is it? Tell them. Yeah. Freethinkingministries.com. Yeah. Um, whoops. I turned you all the way down to, uh, just say that again. Yeah, freethinkingministries.com. Yeah, lots of articles, um, blogs on that site. And then our YouTube channel is just under Free Thinking Ministries. So please subscribe there and tell people about us. We're trying to to make that grow a little bit. Indeed. And um, I should say, listen, this is what Tim does full time. He does that and he's a professor for us. So he would certainly appreciate you sharing his stuff around and spreading the word. But more than that, because he loves the Lord Jesus Christ, that's why we do this. Sometimes it's difficult to see how these deeper these philosophical issues relate to the things of the kingdom, but they do relate. We want people to know that they can freely accept the Lord Jesus Christ when presented right. with the gospel. And so um, if you've never done that, we encourage you to do that. Tell the Lord that you know you're a sinner, that you believe that Jesus died and rose again, that God raised him from the dead, and repent of your sin and turn to him, and you'll never, ever, ever regret it. Um, Thanks so much for being here, and we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. See ya.